Welcome home to the Crash the Pond podcast. We have been away, but now we are home. And we invite you in to what should be a spirited and fun podcast today. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> you know, it's 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 cold outside. It's been rainy. It's just storming here in California, up and down the coast. So we invite you in to grab a little, you know, a little warmth, a little coziness and talk some Ducks hockey. Our good friend, uh, 91 Plutie Connor is asking, why are we in his home? Uh, no, you're, you're coming in my home, in our oh. home. Oh, okay. And I don't think you read his question. Oh, no, that was his question. Yeah, that was his question. Well, we're in your home, presumably, because we are on a screen that you're looking at. Yeah. But yeah, that doesn't exactly. actually mean we're inside your home. Yep. Just not how that works. Unless, yep. Unless physics have changed. Yep. Anyway. But took a week off, recharged, rebooted. Rejuvenated. Week, what? Rejuvenated. Yes, rejuvenated. And just like the Ducks, who ended up winning today's game. A 9.30 start. Yeah. It was, Thoughts on it that? It was great. It was I great. Watched, I watched it at 6 p.m., so I can't I can't <laughs> vouch for it. You didn't take advantage of the 9.30 start. It was great. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed the morning game. I don't think this works well if it's not a holiday. I no. think that... I think that it would be nice if there were more weekend games that were like this, like a Sunday 1 p.m. start. Yeah, Saturday morning, Sunday morning. Yeah, just give us some Saturdays where hockey's on all throughout the day from 9.30 to to essentially 10 p.m. when the games end. Like, just give us some of those days. Yeah, I mean, that's part of what's so great about football on NFL Sundays is that you can sit there from morning until night just watching a constant stream of games, and hockey doesn't. I mean, they do have morning games on weekends, but it's just not quite the same. So. Yeah, like I, I think this works out well. I mean, I don't think you do this start time at Honda Center. This only really works because the Ducks were on the road. Wait, explain but that. Explain that. I don't think doing a, a 9.30 or 10 a.m. start in any sport makes sense. This is not a Ducks thing okay. or a hockey thing in general. Okay. I don't I don't think doing a 10 a.m. football kickoff uh, okay. like as a home team, 10 a.m. tip-off for a basketball team, that makes sense in any sport. Like, this is not a, an exclusive thing. I knew where you were going, but just a, a Honda Center, people showing up not and not being there on time for the game. No, I, I just think any sport starting before 12 or 1230 local is a rough, rough time. Okay. Just, but, just making sure that, that I understand where you're going with that. Yeah. But I but I think that having these for East Coast games, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's... Uh, I. I have enjoyed those morning games and I think that the Ducks enjoyed the game too because they mm -hmm. won mm -hmm. and it was a a feel good game which I think I'm glad that we have a good solid win to talk about because yes. the last week of Ducks hockey has it's I don't been up and down. It, I don't I don't want to call it a low point in the season but that's kind of what it's felt like at times. Yeah. You know you, you start with the game against Montreal where quite frankly they just didn't show up. I mean, you could even go back further to, I mean, this is the first pod since we've done, we've done since the bye week and the Edmonton game coming out of the bye week was not great either. Yeah. So, you know, you piece those games together, you, you put the Ottawa game where yes, they went five one. And then you have the, the Toronto game where they just get shellacked nine goals against. And honestly, going into today's game, I would say the first like half of the game, it, it felt like kind of the same script all over again. You know, the ducks were just so they they just struggled so much to defend in all three zones. And what I mean by that is the four check wasn't mm -hmm. clicking. 
the neutral zone was leaky, the D zone was leaky, and maybe more than anything, and this is something that we saw, you know, in in the game, for example, against Montreal, is turnovers, puck management, and just the amount of boneheaded plays, the amount of just poor decisions with the puck that end up direct that directly cost you a goal against. It's just something that we haven't really seen from this Greg Cronin led team for most of the year. And I would say this last little stretch that the Ducks have kind of allowed that to infiltrate their game. But to their credit against Buffalo, it's funny because the now I'm going on a bit of a rant here, but the the, the broadcast t- talked a lot about how in the early going, it was a wide open game and it was back and forth. Well, it was only wide open for one team, and that was the yeah. Buffalo Sabres. The, the Buffalo Sabres, yes, it was wide open for them. They were getting opportunity after opportunity and different flavors, right? It would be the Ducks not getting back, uh, you know, backtracking, backchecking, or not covering assignments in the D zone when it's more static. So it was wide open for the Sabres. And as the game progressed, you know, the, the broadcast talked about how, well, both teams have tightened it up. It's like, no, the Ducks tightened it up. The Ducks stopped giving the puck away in, in opportune locations. And the Ducks also started doing a better job of, of staying on their man, keeping to their assignments, staying true to the system. And that's what turned the game around. And then from there, you know, once you start doing the right things, you can layer on top of that the great dynamic offense from Mason McTavish and Troy Terry. So it was kind of a nice way for them to build back out of the hole that they had dug themselves in by just getting back to taking care of the the most basic things. Yeah, because I, I think that first period, like you said, was not a good period. And I think that was probably at five on five the worst period they've had they had on this road trip. Uh, or not worst period they had on the road trip, but one of the worst up there. It was was up up there there with the Toronto game, to be honest. Like the Toronto game, they got punished on every chance they gave up. Yeah. And so I think that's what maybe makes it feel worse from the perspective of a Ducks fan is that you look at that scoreline, you look at the goals going in. But overall, I think tonight's game or today's game with how they played in the first was up there with those. And so it almost felt like an, oh, here we go again, because um, it's basically been every single game since the start of the bye week has just been that poor. Like the the Toronto game at five on five, I think they ended up being even by the end of it, but it's largely due to garbage time in a yeah. nine to two game. Doesn't really make that big of a difference. So they had just been playing poor. And so you had to wonder kind of Buffalo was a team that I had kind of targeted. I know you had when you and I had texted that this is the game you were looking forward to the most just to kind of see what type of performance, what type of, type of effort from a, against a team that they're probably closer to than a Toronto team. Um, and, and I think for me also looking back, the, the game against Buffalo in Anaheim was one of the best Ducks performances of the season yep. where they were, they played extremely well, ended up being a tighter scoreline than you would want just due to the Sabres getting some bounces going their way late. But that was probably one of the most complete performances the Ducks have had all season. Um, and so I was really curious to see if they were going to be able to build off of that. And the first period was not great. They, they didn't play great. Um, they ended up getting a bounce going their way and they ended up going into the the break tied one, one, but they needed to extremely improve their game in the second period. And they did in this game. And I think a large portion of that you, you t- touched on it briefly, but the Mason McTavish line, I'm going to eat crow on this <laughs> for the fact that, um, I going into the second period w- was really harping on the fact that I thought Troy Terry really needed to be split up from that line. I still think there is a very strong argument to do that because I think, We'll get into Carlson a bit more as we move through this game. But I think Leo Carlson has suffered from not having a Troy Terry on his line. 
I think his, his performances since the bye week have gone down. And I think a large portion of that is due to the fact that he is no longer, uh, he no longer has a play driver necessarily on his line. Troy Terry, I, I think Troy Terry is one of the, the best, or is the best player on the Ducks. And I was about to say, is one of the better players in this league. He's a top 20 I mean, he, player he in this is, league. Unquestionably. Like, he is. He's an elite player in this league. He is in the conversation of like a top 20 player in this league. And when you take a guy like that off of Carlson's line, he's going to suffer, especially when you replace him with a Ryan Strom, who just hasn't done a whole lot. And so I still think there's an argument for that. And I think in this first period, especially, we saw McTavish and Vitrano suffering and not really playing a good game, giving up the puck. The Buffalo goal came on a really tough Vitrano turnover. Mason McTavish had some rough work in his own zone also, and Troy Terry had to save him on a couple of those. And there were some offensive zone plays where Troy Terry has the puck and he moves it, and Vitrano and and McTavish just take wrong angles on the puck. And that's going to happen, but it just felt kind of like an accumulation of what we had seen because that line as a whole going into today's game um, had a 23% expected goal share as a line so not great as a whole granted 23 minutes of sample so there's plenty of time to improve on that and this is kind of where i'm going the the big thing i think in the second period was that that line found some chemistry in a way that they had not had prior to this and i think if that is the type of play that this line can have then this is a viable line for this ducks team because you saw mctavish and terry have some give and goes with one another one of them led to the the second vitrano goal where Troy Terry enters the zone, has a nice little hold-up play, and draws in the defender and makes a nice pass to McTavish, and McTavish is going to get the plaudits there for making what is a wonderful pass across saucer pass to find Vitrano, who's able to finish it, uh, into a wide-open net. But the little chemistry there for the give-and-go with Terry and McTavish is what sets all that up, and that's what they hadn't necessarily had prior to that. And then same thing, I think, with the Terry goal, where McTavish ends up finding him, and Terry takes advantage of some soft space and finds the back of the net with it. And so... I think it's really promising that that line was a big driver of success for this team and was a and really I mean, they're, created they're a lot. The reason of they won, true. <laughs> like, like if if you look at the the like evolving hockey game flow chart, all that different type of stuff, there's a massive boost for the Ducks in the last ten minutes where they they really just had all of the chances going their way, and it's really largely driven by that line. Yeah, they them and you know John Gibson are pretty much the only reason that the Ducks won today. Because, I mean, you touched on it briefly. We'll come back to it. But the Carlson line just didn't really bring anything. And then, I mean, you just can't really expect much offensively from Henrik Silverberg Lundestrom. And then the, the fourth line, although the fourth line generated one of the goals. Yeah. <laughs> so Ross Johnston with a great forechecking effort to yep. then free the puck up. And then a great touch pass by Jones to get it over to Henrik. But to, to come back to the McTavish line, though, I agree with you that they started off really rough and that first half of the game was just not great, but we've also seen McTavish be productive on that line in previous games, like in the Ottawa game, for example. But Mm -hmm. in this game, especially what was just standing out glaringly is that how well that Terry and McTavish were doing at at how well they were forechecking and creating turnovers. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. you have one goal where McTavish just kind of intercepts a, a puck that's cleared out by the goalie. He wins a battle, causes a turnover, and then just kind of keeps fends off the defender, kind of on his hip, has yep. the puck with one hand on a you know, one hand on the stick, controlling the puck, a la Sidney Crosby, gets it down to Troy Terry, who then just walks it in and scores. Yep. Um, and then yeah, the little give and go play. Well, it wasn't really a give and go, but 
it looked like a give and go. Yeah, sorry. If I said give and go, that was the wrong term. There, L- but yeah. Lindstrom gets it up to Terry. Terry does a great job just waiting for McTavish to get into mm-hmm. that space. Little hook pass up to him. Just perfect, perfect play. And then McTavish on his off wing, which we don't see him a ton there on, on these kind of situations, you know, sells that shot, gets it over to Vetrano. There were just multiple instances of those two oh. guys, Terry yeah. and, and McTavish wreaking havoc. And even the first the first goal for that line where Vetrano kind of comes in and is able to get it from behind. Yep. Uh, was it Uko Pekalukunen and, and Barry? That comes on Terry feeding uh, McTavish for a one-timer there. And it gets through him and Vetrano finds it and buries it. Yeah, and so, so yeah, they were highly they, they were highly highly disruptive on on all three mm-hmm. of those plays and and even on plays where they weren't scoring they were still you know as the game wore on finding each other creating offense and you know McTavish and Terry I think are showing some some chemistry and I think the biggest thing for those guys you know the reason why I think it really started to kind of click for them and this is something that I just don't think that the other Ducks lines do at all is that they're always looking at the slot. You know, when they come out of the the corner, you know, below the goal line or when they're working it up the wall, their first look is always, okay, what's going on in the slot? How can we get that puck into the most dangerous area on the ice? You know, it might take a couple of passing plays to get there, but their thought process is always, let's get to the most dangerous area. You know, you watch like the Carlson line tonight or today, for example, and it's just, and same thing with the other lines, but it's so much just like, you know, perimeter, working the outside and you're getting zone time, but you're getting nothing out of it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, part of that is yes, Troy Terry is, is dynamic, but Mason McTavish is a highly skilled, you know, prominent young player as well. And, you know, we can talk about his warts defensively this season, but the production has been there. And I think that, that the production is real. If you just look at the way he's getting it done. So although, although I think that, yes, it it would, you want to see Leo Carlson have the best opportunity possible. Mm-hmm. there's two things to that. One is this is the job that he is going to have. He yeah. is the, he is going to be the first line center. Yep. And at some point yep. you have to be able to carry your own line, but also too, Mason McTavish is also a young developing center. He can yep. also benefit from playing with Troy Terry. Yep. Like he, he too deserves a good line mate. So I think it's, yeah. it's damned if you do damned if you don't, because then yeah. we'd be saying, well, McTavish needs better line. Mates. I think if we didn't see this, this stretch from these guys where it gave me some confidence that, okay, there is something there. Because my concern was Mason McTavish, if you look at some of the numbers, the offense has dried up for him lately. I mean, he had, he had two goals against Ottawa. No, no, no. But where I'm getting at this is just offensive chance generation. There's been a really big die down in the last maybe 10, 15 games. Well, he's also where, playing on the third line. But he was still playing. It was it, like for a large portion of that he was also with Vitrano and Strom. And it was just the, the continuation of the same type yeah. of thing. The, and honestly, the best line that but, he had but was you, when he was. But you were just saying Strom isn't a guy to help generate offense with no Carlson. i no no i know but my point is my okay. point here is though that earlier on in the season he was generating that type of offense and it really died off and really the best looks that he was getting was with the silverberg and um and lundestrom line and my concern was that you're kind of limiting troy terry in this situation and we needed to see mason mctavish kind of revive that type of game that he had early on in the season and i think granted half a game there, there's still more that has to be done, but there is something to build off of here. Whereas the thought process of putting Terry back with Carlson would be, we've seen that have success. That is something that drives offense for this team. But if you can do this and you're correct, like the argument of, well, Carlson doesn't have a play driver with him anymore. Carlson does need to be a play driver. Granted, 19 years old. That's what NHL, he is. Like, no, 
Okay, let me rephrase that slightly. Uh, uh, he had Troy Terry on him. Troy Terry was the largest play driver. Leo Carlson, as he moves into this league, is going to be the primary play driver on a line. So having him do that uh, makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think adding Adam Henry to that line, if they continue that, will also ha- will also be good for this team. Um, but yeah, Carlson did struggle in today's game overall, though. Well, he... Um, there, there's there's two things with with Carlson right now is that yes the line mates sure we can debate whether they're the right fit but here's the thing mm-hmm. here's the ugly truth in this Kalorn Strom situation yep those are your big money acquisitions yep. yep those are the guys that you brought in to fill this exact role yep like True. like Good like point. you're you're paying Alex Kalorn over six million dollars you're paying Ryan Strom five million dollars like. No, it's a good point. This is a roster construction issue. Like, yeah. like the, I agree with you. These guys are not first. I mean, Kalorn, I think, can play that kind of support role, but you can't have two slower kind of declining guys on the same line. It's just not going to work. Now, they're good enough to play some solid hockey, and they did have some good moments. Like, Carlson, you know, created a, a scoring chance off the rush. Like, he he also had a nice kind of one-time play from the, from the blue line in the offensive zone. Like, they're... It wasn't all bad, but it's just it's not the dynamic, exciting Carlson that we're used to. And that's just the reality when you're not playing with Troy Terry. But and and I think really what this team needs for that line to kind of get going is either Adam Henrique jumping in there and kind of doing what he can do from time to time and kind of add a little bit of an element there um, offensively. But he's kind of more of a support guy also. But I think the the real thing is Trevor Zegers coming back. Because they think Zegers coming back and slotting in on that line with Carlson and Kalorn kind of divvies up the team a little bit better. Correct. Yeah. I mean, I mean, this team was not built to be like this, no. right? I mean, Trevor Zegers is supposed to be in one of these spots and he's not. And that's, I mean, that's just how it's, how it's going to go when you have injuries. Also, I just thought Leo Carlson, to me, he just looked a little tired today. Yeah. Like, like he just didn't have that pop. There was, there was one shift where he, was like deep in the offensive zone, you know, they turned it over and now he has to get back and he's like 20, he's 24 seconds into his shift. And he just, he kind of does that like look down thing. Mm-hmm. Like, ah, oh, crap, I have to skate all the way down. And just like, there's just like a physical fatigue element that he's probably combating right now because like, there's no more games off. Like, and yes, we can yeah. debate, we can debate about how big of an impact that had, but now he's playing every game. So the recovery, all of that, it has to be mixed in. And so maybe it's just, that's part of it too. It's not maybe just all the line mates yeah. either. He's a 19 year old and then playing in the NHL. There's going to be some games that are going to be like this. And I think figuring out how to get through it is going to be important for him. And I mean, he's kind of passed every big test in flying colors. So I expect that to happen also, but this is a big test for him. Um, something else that I did want to point out here is... Jackson Lacombe drew back into the game after having two games out and uh, Greg Cronin gladly switched up the D pairs and did not have Jackson Lacombe with Cam Fowler because against Edmonton and in the game in Montreal, I don't think that pairing did him any favors. And we just have a much larger, we have a large sample with Bradco Gudis of that pairing being great. And prior to the bye week uh, Jackson Lacombe was playing, I think the best hockey he's played all season next to Radko Gudis. Part of that is I think Radko Gudis is, probably the best the the best ducks defenseman and so you're just going to play better when you're next to him but i think it just supports him in a much better way and allows him to play his game in a, in a way that uh 
provide or gives him a spot for success. And so we saw him draw back in. I thought he had a really good game. Yeah, no, he he played really well. He yeah. was doing all the Jackson Lacombe things. You know, he had one play. I think it was like about halfway through the second period where mm-hmm. he just had the puck at the blue line and just just kind of walked off the blue line, goes around two different guys, cuts into the slot and nothing comes of it. But like he was just he looks so confident with the puck. And yes, I'm using that word confident, but he's trying things that I think ordinary ordinarily rookie defensemen don't try. And the Ducks have two of those guys in their blue line right now with Minchikov and Lacombe. Mm-hmm. And that's why at times it's going to look very squirrely. But when it works, and it was today for Jackson Lacombe, he he just you you he looks like to me an indispensable part of this future for this Ducks blue line. What did you make of Gus Lindstrom's game? Because he's now played this was the third straight game that he's drawn into the lineup. And he was paired with Cam Fowler in this game and took basically every shift with him up until it looks like there was one shift at the end of the game. That was yeah. the only 5v5 shift they did not take with Fowler. Yeah, I mean, I think he's, you know, between him and Vakaninen, like how big of a difference is there? Yeah. <laughs> and no, the thing is, and the thing is Lindstrom is a righty. So yeah. there's a kind of a, a bias, there's a kind of presumption that hey, let's try to get these left and right pairings together because it's just such a nuisance to have lefty lefty. Yeah, you know, I thought Lindstrom was fine. I thought early in the game, like a lot of the team, he had some glaring mistakes Mm -hmm. where and Leo Carlson was guilty of this, too. But like a guy is kind of sneaking behind you in the neutral zone or in the offensive zone and you just don't react in time. And then it turns into a breakaway or a two on one. He was guilty of some of that. But as the game went on, like, I mean, he had the kind of the the breakout pass to set up the the goal we were talking Mm -hmm. about with McTavish and and Terry. So I think he's just good enough. Like he's fine. Yeah. I think he would be a fine like seven, six or six, seven defenseman on this. I mean, ideally, that's what he is. Yeah. <laughs> but right now, like, I think he's he's getting by. Yeah. Well, and one thing I'm curious if they do this moving forward, because looking at the, the shift charts, something they did late in the game, and it didn't really flag for me when it happened, but defending the, the one goal lead, they put Cam Fowler out there with Pavel Minchikov. Yeah, I saw that. I don't know. And- I don't know and, what that was about. <laughs> and that's interesting. The, the reason why that's flagging for me is I was just kind of looking at pairing numbers. Uh, what was it? A day or two ago. Cause I was curious, kind of trying to construct what I would think my ideal version of this lineup <laughs> and small sample size, 36 minutes. So it could change as, as they play more Fowler and Minchikov has, have a 74% expected goal share together. Yeah. And part of me wonders if that line, if that pairing would ever get, um, oh, they were on the, it was a power play at the end of the game. So it was, yeah, off. that's what it was. That's what yeah. it was. It was, it was a five the on four the Samuelson the, penalty. Yeah. Yeah. Thank, a, thank you. Awful holding penalty. Elizabeth, Elizabeth Leo pointed that out. Thank you in, in our yeah. YouTube chat. So thank you for that. But, um, I'd be curious kind of as it goes on and as Ilya Labushkin is eventually moved and you can maybe do a Vakanine and Lind- Lindstrom pairing, um, as your third pairing and you can kind of get Fowler Minchkov and you're not having a really you can play that pairing a bit more. You're not having to divvy up the minutes. You kind of have a pure third pairing in Vakanine and Lindstrom. And then you have Lacombe and Gudis there as your second pair to also eat minutes. And just curious kind of how that pairing would work uh, longer term. Yeah. Ugh. I mean, I just, I, I hate the lefty with lefty. I'm just not a fan, but. With Fowler with foul signed long term, there's going to have to be a, a way. Well, we'll, to... we'll talk about that. Okay. We'll okay. talk about that. Um, long term but... in quotation marks. Okay. Um, but the Ducks ended up pulling out the win. This was 
probably, I would say, their best five-on-five performance of the road trip. The Ottawa game was largely driven by uh, Corpusalo playing horribly on the penalty kill and the Ducks getting some breaks going their way in that game to win that game 5-1. to one. I think this was probably the, the closest to a solid game, and they were still on the wrong side of 50%. Well, and Ottawa was kind of, I mean, not like this like not like not this game, but like some of the plays is just high skill from the Ducks' best players, like the Terry feed to McTavish mm-hmm. against Ottawa. Like, yeah, it's the star players getting it done. Salem has jumped on my lap yes. if you're hearing me, Alice. Yes. Yeah, as her tail comes into screen. Um. But yeah, I mean, this was a good way to end the road trip. The du- I mean, this felt like such a weird road trip because it's, it's the way they had to end it. Yeah, they had, because they had to end it this way. I mean, this pulled them out back to 500 on the road trip, which kind of is weird when you think about it in totality with how the the Toronto game went, how the Montreal game went. Like it felt like such a drag, but at the end of it all, you don't lose more. You don't uh, get less points or, or get negative points by losing nine to two. So mm-hmm. it, it counts as a loss and that's it. And you don't get extra points for winning a game like that. So they ended up on this road trip two and two. And I think that they can come home feeling at least okay about that. Well, I don't know if, okay. Hmm, that's relatively. a little, that's a little, little much for me. Like okay. there was a lot of bad hockey on Agreed. this road trip. Like some of the as worst I was hockey. Saying that, I was thinking back on it. Yeah. Some of the worst hockey I've seen this season, but yeah, Fair. the way they, the way they ended matters. And I think, one thing that makes it worth even more is that it was a game which started off looking a lot like the rest of the road trip did. Yep. Awful. And they managed to pull themselves completely out of it. And I think that that, that does, you know, that goes a long way for a team's psyche. Like again, they just looked, everything just looked better once those goals started going and they started to build their confidence. And a lot of it was because they were just doing the right things. They were just playing solid hockey and, you know, we, there's there's a lot of things we can pick out, like the the penalty kill, some of the weirdness there, some of the line yeah. combinations, roster construction. Like, I think that this this has been a very interesting stretch for Greg Cronin and just the way he's kind of building his team. We should and, definitely get there after the break. Yeah, but that's um, yeah, we'll we'll get to that. Okay, uh, wanna have a quick little word from our sponsors uh, before we kind of move forward? Yes. All right, so. This episode is brought to you by 714 Tickets. Uh, The hockey season is finally here. Whether you're a diehard Ducks fan or just looking for a night of uh, exciting sports entertainment, 714 Tickets has got you covered. But here's the best part. At 714 Tickets, they're not just about hockey. They've got tickets to all your favorite sports, concerts, and live events right at your fingertips. And the icing on the cake? They don't charge you a single dime in taxes or fees. That's right. At 714 Tickets, what you see is what you get. No surprises at checkout, and with their user-friendly mobile app, booking tickets is a breeze. You can browse, select, and secure your seats within minutes. You can shop online at 714 Tickets, call 714 Tickets, uh, 714 Tickets, or visit their office located right in front of Honda Center, and you get 10% off when you shop online using code CTP. There you go. Yeah. Is that it? That was quick. That was, yeah. that was fast. Yeah, there 714 Tickets keeps it... Keeps it nice and breezy for everyone out there. So go get tickets from them, everyone. Efficient. Okay. Yeah. Well, on that note, I, uh, one stat that I thought caught my eye, um, two stats that the broadcast mentioned. One is I think that the Ducks have already exceeded their number of road wins that they had all last season with with the win today, which... They've also exceeded the number of regulation wins they had yeah. last season. That um, is... Like, for anyone... This, this is something I, I realized this week. Shout out to Lou, I think, who pointed out the amount of wins and they're like three wins off of last year, but 
they have as many they have more regulation wins now than they did all of last year and so while the the points you look at the points this year versus last year and the rate they're at it may be like oh ho hum they're they're on the same pace and i know we kind of talk about there's a lot of other things you can look at but just simply looking at regulation wins they've won as they've won more games in regulation this year than they did all of last year and when you get to an overtime game it's kind of more of a crapshoot it's not exactly actual hockey three on three is not the same as five on five a shootout is definitely more of a crapshoot they're more closer to skills competitions and so in five on five or in kind of regulation hockey that starts at five on five the ducks are better this year than they were last year already in terms of wins yep yep i mean i'm sure that that will come up but yes they they're they are a better team this year than last year um Another stat that the broadcast threw out is that the Ducks are averaging more penalty minutes per game than any NHL team in the last 10 years. That's pretty bad. Yep. <laughs> that is uh, that is something that has gone just unchecked, that has not really shown any signs of slowing down as the season has gone on. But, yeah, I mean, I think that right now what we're seeing is this team is still... This, this team is still rebuilding. Could they be better if there had been some more health and luck along the way? Maybe. But right now, it's Greg Cronin figuring himself out as an NHL coach with some of these lineup decisions, some of these tactical decisions. It's these young players growing, and you know we keep an eye on them, especially yeah. game in and game out. Like right now, to me, if you're a Ducks fan and you're watching these games, you're really dialing in on the guys who are going to be here and be part of the core long term. And I realize that like Alex Kalorn is here for three more years, as is Ryan Strom. But I really think that like you're watching Carlson, you're watching McTavish, you're watching Troy Terry, Minchikov, Lacombe. You know, these are the guys who are going to be here when the games matter again. And I mean, they matter now to a different degree. But to me, like you can't be too upset about how it looks when it's guys like Ross Johnston or Sam Carrick or, you know, even Frank Vertrano, like guys who are just not who I don't think are part of the long-term nucleus of the team. Yeah. I, I think the one thing kind of on the, you mentioned the penalty kill and I actually did a little bit of digging uh, over the weekend on this. Cause I was curious about it um, because NHL edge, I don't use it for basically anything, but to its credit, it has zone percentages and possession time, I guess from that okay. perspective of how much time you spend in the zone. And I can't remember which game, but maybe it was the Toronto game. Maybe it was the Ottawa game. Maybe it was the Montreal game. One of those games made me think about the fact that it feels like the Ducks never have an easy kill. Like the, the Ducks power play feels like there are plenty of kills against where they end up getting stopped at the blue line or they dump it in a po- uh, defending team gets it, chips it out. And that's kind of the way it goes for the entire kill. And I could not for the life of me remember a time where the Ducks really had a penalty kill where it felt like it was that easy, where it felt like they were able to disrupt his own entry, get the puck back, shoot it down the other way. And that was primarily what happened the entire time. It felt like it feels like the majority of the time they are in their own zone and they're not able to recover pucks along walls. They have guys kind of just floating in different spaces and not exactly recognizing the the spot that they really need to get to be able to uh, restrict chances. And so I took a look at the NHL data, just looking at um, percentage of time in the defensive zone on a penalty kill. And guess what? The Ducks rank second. In that, I think it was like 60 some odd percent, um, mm-hmm. 63.9% of the time on the PK. And I actually did, if you go to my Twitter, I did a little chart on it and just comparing expected goals against to defensive zone time. 
And there's a direct correlation there. And the Ducks are one of the worst teams. I think Montreal is the only team that allows more high-quality looks, more expected goals against. No need that to mention that. More expected goals against per penalty or per 60 on the penalty kill than the Ducks. And so the Ducks having this penalty kill that just bleeds high-quality or bleeds chances against and expected goals against and also cannot get out of their own zone mixed with a team that is going to take the most penalties in – what what did, what did the broadcast say in the history of the league? Is that what it was? No, last decade. Last decade, sorry. In the last decade. <laughs> that is not a recipe for success right there. Like, that, that is something that really the coaching staff and Greg Cronin should be focused on. And while, yes, you're, you're spot on that kind of some of the guys on the kill may not be here long term, but this is a perfect time to start figuring out who will be on your kill because a guy like Troy Terry is a per- perfect guy. He's probably one of the best of – uh player or he is one of the, he is the best player on the ducks he is one of the best defensive forwards in the league um you look up uh goals against replacement and defensive metrics for that he is up there top 10 i believe in those types of metrics and the fact that he has not even gotten a sniff of the penalty kill this year is something that is kind of a shame because i think he's a guy where not only is he good defensively but he's also one of the most high skilled players and couldn't read plays you look at like a mitch marner and how he's successful on the penalty kill and is someone that helps the Toronto penalty kill a lot. Troy Terry is kind of in that same mold where he not only is good defensively, but will think the game right, jump into those lanes right. You also have Jacob Silverberg, who's also one of the best defensive forwards in the league this year, has barely played on the penalty kill in the last, I don't know, it's like 30 or 40 games. And he he's, has not been, he's barely played on the PK at all. Yeah, this, exactly. This season. And, and so the fact that he is not getting a look, and the fact that Isaac Lundestrom has not really gotten a regular look on the penalty kill either. Like, these just feels like easy guys of okay. Well, these is, are re- is Isaac Lundstrom a good penalty killer? He's been like, good defensively this season. Okay, okay. So I would say I would prefer him over Frank Vitrano. Well, so the Silverberg thing, I do kind of understand why he's not killing penalties. Like he's he's older and Ice I think. Time. Well, also at the World Championship, didn't he reaggravate his blood clot blocking a shot in his leg? I don't remember actually. Well, but, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty yeah. sure that that happened. Okay. Someone, That's someone can tell me if I'm wrong. But if I would fair. understand keeping him out of a shot blocking situation, if if that is a possibility. That's fair. But but to your point, like my thing is this. Okay, yes, the the penalty kill is awful. We can all agree on that. Yeah. But who is coming in to save this penalty kill? Yes, you could put um, you know, you could put Troy Terry, and that would help. You could play Jakob Silberberg more if that if that is feasible. But I just. You know, you look at the the, the defensemen that are out there, like Cam Fowler, Ilya Labushkin. These are the guys that are getting the most minutes. Like, mm-hmm. you just, I just don't think you really have the horses for a great penalty kill on this team right now. And also, no. yes, and also, yes, the system, you know, there's a lot of, they give up a lot of shots from the flank, which to me is kind of like puzzling because that's something that you're trying to prevent yeah. as a team is like the the one-timers. from and And some of that, though, is just like, the personnel like Frank Vetrano, Adam Henry, how many blown assignments, how many just well, mental gaps have we seen? And those are the guys that are getting trusted. Those are, those are their top. Those are their two of their top three mm-hmm. forwards in ice time for the penalty kill this season. Yeah. And, and I mean, the Tage Thompson goal was a prime example of that where he got two, it, he got two wide open one time. And, and Vetrano <laughs> was just kind of standing there in the, the slot, the slot and not really defending anyone, not taking up any space, not in a he's, well, he's defending. He's defending air. Yeah. <laughs> Great point. He He's not really in a shooting lane. Like maybe if you squint, he's in a shooting lane from no. whoever it was at the point. But 
What's more dangerous, that point shot or the Tage Thompson shot? That point shot you give up every day of the week and don't worry about blocking it, and Gibson should have that. Well, because that... the thing that the thing that they're trying to do is that they have one guy pressuring the puck. Yeah. And then the other guy, I think, I think <clears throat> is he's trying to adjust off of that. But a lot of the times one guy will go pressure the puck and the other guy will just stay there and just stand yeah. around. And yeah. then that's 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 an easy decision for the puck here to make because he just has to get it over to the next open guy. Yeah. And then you have a two on one. Yeah. And that happens over and over and over again. So, yes, part of it is is the system. But also, I just think the personnel is sure. just not getting it done. But the fact yeah. that I guess kind of putting this back on Cronin and Brent Thompson here. Yeah. Of if you have one of the worst penalty kills in the league that is on the one of the most penalized teams in the league, <laughs> there has to be some sort of change that happens. Like Vetrano yeah. should not be continually trotted out there on the penalty kill. Henrique should not be continually trotted. Like there should be adjustments made. And it feels like those two have been on the penalty kill all season because they have been. And so yeah. those are the types of things where you can look at Cronin. And I think before tonight's game or today's game, you could say a similar thing just about the lineup. The lineup was the same. And, and there weren't really changes to the entirety of the lineup. There weren't juggling of the lines. There weren't anything. It was just putting the same exact lineup out there. And you were getting similar results in terms of how they were playing. And so I think at least going into this game, okay, there were changes. There was the fact that Troy Terry, or sorry, that um, uh, they had swapped out uh, – uh, what was the swap? They put Alex Klorn with uh with Le- back with Leo Carlson because that was not the the line that was there against Toronto, and they had uh uh they had dropped Henrique down to with Silverberg yeah, the- and Lundstrom. Honestly, Henrique in that third line center role today had a rough start, like everyone. But I thought that he actually came around. Like, I mean, obviously he scored a goal, winning battles. Yeah. But to me, like that's just. Like, I hate to say it, and I know that the numbers maybe don't agree with my eye test, but that's just what he is at this point. Like, yeah. Like, like, this dude is just not a top six forward no. in, in the NHL anymore, and that's he, okay. He's become he's been put in that that position because of the production he's at next to Carlson and Terry, largely. Yeah. And, and so that that's kind of papered over that. I do think – now I'm just kind of going to give a little bit of flowers here after we were just super critical of a lot of things – I think Silverberg and Lundestrom, though, have been really, really good together. Yeah, that line was was solid today. Well, th- them two with whoever you put with them has typically been solid in almost every single game. And yeah. they, I'm very curious if they keep Ryan Strom there. I, I know it's not ideal. Where that, are you going to put him, though? Like, what are yeah. you going to do is my no, question. And I, I know it's not ideal that you kind of have to put a $5 million player with these guys to, to kind of help mitigate the disaster defensively that he can be. But I think that that's a really good spot where they may maybe can lessen the load on him in, the own, in their own zone. And they are two guys that really do well in the forecheck. And that's something Strom has not done well, and he can be more of a support role player on that line. And so I, I think that I'm curious how that line keeps doing keeps going as they move forward. And then I guess just jumping to the fourth line, if Brett Leeson is healthy, which I think he is, and Brock McGinn is no longer healthy, uh, he has been put on IR, but um, – there's no reason that Ross Johnston should be in the lineup. I know he helped create that goal today, but overall that line was on the negative side of 50%. Um, well, he also 50%. just barely plays. He's he, he plays like seven minutes a night. It, it's yeah. just, he's not, he, he, it's just a waste of a roster spot. Yeah, I don't know, and, I don't know and, how else to say it. And that's where it comes to is like, I think you can make the argument of, is that really that impactful in many of these games? Maybe not. It's not, but, but, 
no, no, I'm just talking about Ross Johnson and swapping him out for maybe a Brett Leeson in that situation. Maybe well, at least you be... can find out what you have in these guys. Like, there's just there's so much more to be gained, even if exactly. it's not gonna like be the difference in a win and a loss. Exactly, and I think that's where it is right now. Of Ross Johnson just doesn't really do a whole lot for you in that situation. Well, and... Greg Greg Cronin straight up laid it all out. He said that. He's in there for his toughness, that the toughness well, he, element matters. And he's an accurate four checker, accurate hitter. And I just, I don't know how, like, I don't know what Croden sees there. I mean, today to he, had a couple, he had a couple big hits. He did. But there have been so many times where he just makes the wrong read on a four check and yeah. ends up trying to go for a hit and makes a hit when the puck is clearly there for him to make a play on the puck and get the puck back. And instead it turns over, goes the other way. Well, even if and that, so, even if all that's true though, like how valuable is that? Mm-hmm. Like, like, is that really like a reason to not play Brett Leeson, who maybe can't do all of that, but can do most of that and can give you a little bit more, actually can give you a lot more with the well, puck. And he can be a better penalty killer also. Yeah. I mean, Brett Leeson to me is like the ideal penalty killer because he's big, he's rangy. He's got a good, you know, he, he's got a good skating stride, but he can also, you know, put some pressure on the puck. He can also make some plays with it. Why isn't Brett Leeson out there? Like just, Greg Cronin's whole explanation for why he doesn't think uh, Brett Leeson's an everyday player right now, it's just... I guess we we should probably quickly touch on this before getting to questions, because questions always take longer than I anticipate, but yep. I am firmly at a net neutral on Greg Cronin mm-hmm. right now. I'm not saying I'm down on him. I'm not saying he's a bad coach. He has proven that he's better than what we had before. Yep. And congrats, you cleared that bar. But now we move on to greener pastures of, okay... What's the next iteration of the progress? And so far, he's kind of shown that the the lineup, you know, lineup crafting process isn't always very sound. He's shown kind of a very rigid, inflexible approach tactically. Like the Ducks' game plan just hasn't really altered all that much all season. They're suffering from the same issues that have plagued them all season. Sometimes they've even gotten worse. I would say this road trip is an example of that. So. I think Greg Cronin, he, he gets something out of his players. You know, he's, he's able to draw that competitive fire out of them. I think they do play for him, but he kind of gets in his own way with his tactical decisions, decisions. And that's why, like, it remains to be seen for me if he's the coach who can, you know, kind of bring them over the hump and we'll see with a better roster, hopefully next season, Yeah, but just at a net neutral right now. Yeah. And I think that's completely and totally fair. I think what he implemented early on in the season, I think worked. For the most part, I think we saw this team improve and we saw the guys the, bought the, in and we saw the floor of this team. I think it raised and you also it's also hard because he is yet to have one of his most highly skilled player uh, for most of the season. And so that that's also difficult. But I think you're spot on. I think this last little stretch here, I think, has been the time where you can be the most critical of him, where the decisions he making he's making may not be the most sound, where um I mean, discipline, like the fact that this has been a consistent issue for this team and it has yet to, yet to be addressed in any sort of uh, tangible fashion. The fact that the penalty kill is still one is one of the worst in the league. The fact that um, the power play is still where it's at. And granted, he, he's kind of leaving that to Newell Brown, it sounds like. But but still not even but being able to. But the, the but buck still. stops with you, though, as the head coach. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that you can find more criticism in these moments. And I think next season is when it's he's raised where this team is at from last year, which I think is what was needed. Maybe it's not as high as I had hoped. Maybe that's him. Maybe that's injuries. Maybe that's a, a couple different things or all of it kind of combined. 
but next year it has to be another step on this. Yeah, and, and, so, and look, like he is a rookie NHL coach. Yeah. I mean, we, we have to keep that in mind that just like these players can improve, you know, I think a coach can improve. Mm-hmm. And so we have to keep an eye on, on that. Like, I don't think that he, he is what he's going to be. I think that just judging from everything that we've kind of heard him, you know, talk about, like, I think that he is a student of the game. I think that when this season is over and he kind of picks his head back up from the, the crazy grind that it is, I think that he's smart enough to recognize, like, some of the things that went wrong, at least that's my hope. But I also, I think there's a rational basis for that. And then, you know, we'll see. And, and again, just better players never hurts. Like you look at this Ducks lineup right now, you have Ryan Strom and Alex Kalorn on your top line. Part of that is on the GM. Like he's, he's dealing the hand that he's been dealt, but then you go down the lineup. I mean, you have a third line that honestly, you know, before Adam Henry got on there, it's probably like a fourth line, in a lot of teams. Mm-hmm. So it is what it is. I just think that the roster is going to be better. He will be better. And I'm not out on Greg Cronin by any stretch right now, but I think he's he's kind of toned down some of the early season excitement. And one thing I'll also add there is, yes, but I think any sort of comparison to him and Dallas Akins, I think is just completely unfair to him and unfair to what unfair he's to done. Who? Unfair to Cronin. Oh, you mean you mean like saying that he's been like yes. Dallas? Okay, Correct. okay, okay. Correct. Because because I think that there's that, that goes two ways. So the so the way you're saying is that yeah, like saying that he's as bad as what Aikens was last season. Because yes. yes, we have seen people say that uh, even in our own Discord is that like no, that's just it's night and day. But also on the flip side, comparing him in the positive light, like that just yes, that that just holds no weight anymore. <laughs> you're you're comparing him to the bar being on the ground, basically. Yeah. So, all right, let's get into some questions, though, unless anything else you want to touch on. Uh, I'm actually somewhat surprised. that So the Ducks are above league average in terms of uh, zone time on the power play. So there you go. That makes sense because thinking about especially the second unit. That's what they really really value. Yeah, yeah. But it's like slightly above average. You're looking that up after I brought up the the zone time. That just made me curious about the the power play. I looked that up. I looked that up. 62nd percentile. Yeah. So there you go. But yeah, also out of just a a fun little fact for you there, the best uh, penalty kill in the league in terms of uh, keeping uh, zone percentage down is Carolina. It's at like 49%. They're in their defensive zone less than they're not, or less than they are out of it. That's crazy. Yeah. That's actually crazy. Yeah. Um, All right. So let's get into questions. So we'll start with our Patreon discord. Go to patreon.com slash crash spawned where you can support us at the $2 tier and get access to our Discord. Um, and with that, you get priority with questions. Uh, so we have Ken and Deal asking, this is going back a bit, but we, it's been a bit since we did a podcast, said, been thinking about the trade rumors uh, surrounding, we haven't even talked about trade, so this is perfect. Uh, trade rumors surrounding Vitrano, or Henrique and Vitrano to the Rangers. I know the obvious name back is Kako, but could they target Perot? Maybe having uh, Jacob's brother around helps pull him out of his perennial middle of the pack position in the death chart don't know if the rangers would be willing to move gabe though considering they seem to just want to move on from Kako. yeah i don't think gabe pro is available no it, it would not not for a frank vetrano like adam henry like the rangers would have to be so desperate to do that because yeah. he's really their only like guy with some promise up front in my opinion so yeah that isn't in, that isn't on the team currently and what is it Spe- speaking of the rangers though what blake wheeler out for the rest of the season and probably the playoffs maybe they get so desperate prob- probably increases Henrique and Vitrano being uh, th- things that the Rangers will look at. Yeah. 
But I, nice. I just don't think Gabe Pro's like if if the Ducks somehow got Gabe Pro out of that, that would be crazy. Would, and good would for you the do Ducks. Vitrano for Kako one for one? Hmm. I think I might, yeah. Yeah. I think I, I, I think I think I would. I would. Because I, I think the Ducks are at the point where they just need more guys who can be like decent NHL players who are on the younger side. Yep. Like getting another late first or you know, second round pick, like you need to help the guys who are like I think the biggest one of the biggest things with the Ducks as a rebuilding team is that they have the guys on the team already who are going to be the pillars. Now you just got to start surrounding them and not with guys like some of the slower veteran types, but some of the younger upside type players. And Kako isn't perfectly that, but I, he would make more sense for this team long-term than Frank Petrano. Yep. And I mean, you would hope that you could try to get a pick out of them in addition to Kako. I don't know if you could do that. Um, depends yeah, on where his I, value I doubt is it. at, but still I, I would do that as a one for one. So, Tussle said, I doubt it happens, but what player slash prospect would you support trading Zegers for in a straight one-for-one hockey trade, similar to the Drysdale-Gauthier trade, where no one was happy to see Drysdale leave, but the return filled a void in the system? And you can't say a clone of Zegers. Well, Zegers would create a hole in the system. So Yeah. I mean, like, I like Mar- Marco Rossi? <laughs> I don't even know then, though. Like, I, like, the, the, I mean, Marco Rossi is really good. So No, I, I get that, but I still yeah. don't... Like he doesn't do what Trevor Zegers does, and no, so he's, it's different. It's a different it's, player. It's different, and, and so that that's the tough part for me here is that I think with Dryzo you could make the argument that there were plenty of other players that would jump into the lineup and replace him and and fill that void right away in terms of just what he brings. Maybe not specifically on the right side, but in the decor, the Ducks' overall. entire left side is set for the next ten yeah. years. Like. I don't think you have anyone in the system that does what a Trevor Zegers does. Where it you don't, you don't think to... that. You should say that you I, know. I, that I know because that because that's true. Yes, <laughs> there, there, there's no one in the system that does what Trevor Zegers does. So yeah. I, this is kind of the issue I have with all of this is that I don't see any sort of prospect that would make sense in a one for one. The only way that it makes sense to trade a, trade a Trevor Zegers is if you're getting an established superstar. That is the only way yeah, it if would you're make packaging, sense. if you're packaging Zegras yes. with other things. Yes. yes. And, and so that's the issue with the rumors that I have. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, let's see. Uh, Dalton keys asked, does Cronin ever coach a playoff game for the ducks? I'll say yes. I'll say yes. How um, long is his contract? Three years, three years. Do you think the ducks are in a playoff game two years from now? I think so. I think that if they aren't, then he's probably never going to. <laughs> I think if they're not in the picture next year, I I think he's in rough shape. I don't think they're going to fire. I, I just, the Ducks don't really seem to want to fire coaches unless they absolutely have to. Fair. So, Lactic said, welcome to a world where Vitrano doesn't get moved at the deadline and instead elects to re-sign with us during the final year of his contract. In your opinion, what does that contract need to look like and his bare minimum production for the duration of the contract for you to not call it a mistake? Like three years, not five. What's the AAV? Oh my gosh. Like probably like what Strom is making. Like $5 million for Frank Vetrano. Are you shitting me? No, I'm, yeah. So I would not, no, but I'm just trying to think about what would, uh, what would the contract need to look like for you to not call it a mistake? I'm saying um, it, it, three years tops term and l- below $5 million. Yeah. AAV. Like I would honestly kind of say his current AAV. 
Yeah. Like I mean like, he's gonna I, get a he's gonna get a raise, but to me it should be like a million dollar raise. Like I'm not, just not I'm just not a huge Frank Vetrano believer, I guess, in terms of what he brings. If for, I think there are people out there that are gonna be you're crazy. He's people are he, gonna disagree with that take. He, he's gonna be a thirty goal scorer, all these different types of things, but he's if not. you look at No, but people will say that. Yeah. Because he's what, at twenty five goals now? He can shoot, he can he can be pesky. He's a great role player on a really good team. Yes. He's not a guy who you should be paying as one of your top six options. He's he's a third liner on yep. your team if you're successful. And yep. I think with the Ducks, they would whatever his next deal will not be him like a second liner. Yeah, he will not be paid like that on his next contract. Um all right, give 19 the C. Drumpanger said we were roughly at the halfway point in the season. Has the defense improved as expected? Um, and what is one encouraging and one extremely concerning fault of Greg Cronin that you can pinpoint so far? Oh man, that's a good question. Defense improved. Yes. I think the defense has significantly improved. What are we talking season. about in season? Well, he's just saying we're at the roughly in season. Point. They may have gotten worse. <laughs> well, I just think overall from last season. So I'll answer the Team second defense. part. I'll right. say that one encouraging thing is I think whenever I hear Greg Cronin speak about the team, I would say 99% of the time, I think he's bang on about what's going wrong or what's going well. Mm -hmm. Like I think he sees, he sees a pretty clear picture of the team. Mm -hmm. My problem with him so far is that he just doesn't really ever seem to adjust. Like, like whatever he sees, the adjustments are very marginal and incremental where maybe sometimes you need a bigger fix. Yeah. I would say the, the concerning fault that I have kind of goes to that point, but it's the fact of, I think it's a misassessment and we've talked about this a little bit here and there, but a misassessment of what this team is. And yeah. if you look at some of the numbers, and I know you looked at them from Corey Schneider and, and kind of what this team is. This is a team that tries to be in on the four check. They don't enter a lot with possession. They try to dump it in. But if you look at most of the chances they're getting, they're all on the rush. They don't generate a whole lot from the cycle, from the four check. They don't at all. And, and so I don't know why that is a focus of the coaching staff when it's not something that they're successful at. He Well, that's the thing. That's the adjustment point yeah. is that he no, wants, yeah. he, he wants them to be a smash mouth for checking grind your face off team. But the reality is that they're, they're not that at all. And, and if he's coaching them to be like that, like watching them on the cycle is so painful because they're always just working along the wall, looking to get it back to the point you know, when scramble plays in front, it's, you know, to create dangerous offense in the NHL to score goals. It's hard to do. It's hard to be the Carolina model because they have, they have optimized it to a T others than that. You got to find a way to get into that slot. And yeah. that's not really going to happen with point shots and, you know, perimeter play. Yep. All right. Bring Greg home says, what do you think this team is looking for down the stretch? Obviously this is the time of year when teams really start to ramp up effort on the way to the playoffs. How do you how do we prevent getting clapped and giving up another Montreal or Toronto? I mean, I think that you know, I don't want to say jobs are on the line, but like I think that the the audition for next season has begun. Like the audition for who yes. is who is going to be here, who is going to be, you know, a a key contributor who is going to have their name kind of top of the charts come training camp. Like that to me training camp starts now. And yeah. Yes, the games don't matter for the standings. Some would argue the Ducks should lose more games than they win. But the reality is that for these guys, the motivation should be, hey, there's no guarantee I'm here next year. I mean, and look up and down the lineup. Isaac Lindstrom, 
they could just walk away from him in the summer. Yeah. Max, Max Jones, Jones. They, they could just walk away. I mean, there's many guys in this team that the, the, the Ducks could just say, you know what? We hated what we saw last year. We are trying to make the playoffs. We are done with you. So that should be the motivation. Same thing with Greg Cronin. Like, he's got to prove that he can adjust and that he can get this team playing hard hockey on a consistent basis. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, our good friend Bonnie said, hmm, is Troy Terry any good? You know, I'm going to change this. Troy Terry is elite. Yeah. <laughs> it's no longer a very good thing. He's elite. I mean, and, he, and this is not the yeah. meme Derek Grant elite 1C. Troy no. Terry is an elite player in that. Troy Terry is actually elite. Like, is like, are we hitting the point where Troy Terry might be underpaid at 7 mil? I think he's properly paid because I think the production, you know, Fair. Will, the, will the production ever get to that kind of like 90, 80, 90 point range? I don't know. Fair. Maybe it will. But Fair. yes, he is paid like he's giving them full value for, yeah. for his contract. He yep. is so good. He is their best player by like a wide margin. Yeah. Even like, even he, though I even though I think Trevor Zegers is awesome, I think Leo Carlson is awesome. Like Troy Terry just kicks everyone's ass. <laughs> yeah. Like even if Zegers is back and playing like he was, and like the offense started to come, like Troy Terry is still the best player on this team. Yep. Um, he almost scored a short side, just ripped yeah. wrist shot from a terrible angle. Like his, the, the, his the Jack shot Hughes is type shot. On. His shot is slept on. He has a he really, should really he should shot. also shoot more <laughs> probably. There was but, that play tonight where he or today where he the four on two. Was it that one where or he four came on three? He came down like the middle and yeah. he had McTavish wide open on the right side and he himself was in the middle and he tried to curl a pass back against the green to to Vetrano and Vetrano yeah. did a terrible job of joining yep. the play. Yep. But it's like, dude, you have the shot to score there or pass it to the guy with a legit one timer, not yep. Frank Vetrano. Yep. So also Troy Terry is the captain. That's the other thing I'll say. <laughs> just give him the C. I mean, I do think that now we're just totally tangent mode, but I think yeah. that um, this team needs a leader. This team needs yeah. to have someone that they look to. Like sometimes you just got to will it into existence. You know, we it's been two years now, of this kind of system. I think that giving someone the C, if they've shown any indication that they deserve it, it's going to, I think, empower them. It's going to make them a better leader and it's going to just give this team a guy to, kind of rally around so and i think if they wanted to kind of see what troy terry would do with the new contract like he's passed that with flying colors they found out yeah yeah so uh put the c on his jersey next year uh colin 27 said what's the, what is likely the date that gochier can make his debut well whenever the, abs- the frozen four is over the absolute final date would be after april 13th okay because that is when the ncaa championship is uh, if they lose at any point prior to that, he will be joining the Ducks then. Yep. So there's that. Um, let's see. Uh, Dr. Plant Ranch PhD Thugonomics said, is the power player penalty kill more of a concern for you guys? The Ducks broadcast seems to really focus on the penalty kill. I'll say power play. I'm going penalty kill, but they're both a big concern. The thing with the power play is that you you have, like, look at what the Canadians are doing right now with Nick Suzuki, Cole Caulfield, and Uri Slavkovsky. Those guys get every opportunity to play a ton of minutes on the power play. And they're earning it, but also like it's a concerted effort by the team. The Ducks have those kind of pillar-type young players, McTavish, Carlson, Terry, Minchikov. Those guys should be playing 90 seconds. Agreed. Like, Agreed. I, I get that like the second unit is scoring and they're possessing the puck at above league average rate, but... <laughs> 
you're trying to build something that's going to last for years to come. Now is the time to do it when there's really no stakes. Why it's not a concern for me is I don't think Noel Brown is here next year. And I think there will be a new person here that will potentially do that. The penalty kill, Cronin will be here. Brent Thompson. I mean, Cronin will still be here next year, though. But Brent Thompson will also still be here next year because he was just brought in by the Ducks. So I think that overall finding the right guys to play on the penalty kill is a bit more of a concern for me. I also think PK is just more correctable. That's fair. It's not better players like no, (laughs) but just better players like tighten it up. Some like their top two penalty killers up front might not like actually their top three Carrick, Henrik, Vetrano probably all won't be there next year. Yeah. So yep. It's just going to be different. Good friend Bonnie said, how about the glorious animal known as Frank Vetrano? <laughs> good is for Frank. Good? good for Frank. He's he's having the season of all seasons. I hope he gets paid as much as he possibly can two years from now. Um, not a guy that I think the Ducks should look to hang on to long term. Yep. Uh, Give 19 the C drum banger said, who slash what have been your biggest surprise and biggest disappointments so far this year? Biggest surprise or best surprise. Best surprise for me is Urho Vakninen. Yeah. I think just overall, that's a guy that struggled and health and all the issues. And the fact that he's established himself as being an NHLer this year when neither of us thought he really would be, I think is a, is a huge surprise. Uh, disappointment would be Ryan Strom. Yeah. I think Strom is a good shout because like we were kind of saying, you know, we were kind of writing off last year to being, you know, the mm-hmm. Aikens effect, but his defensive metrics this year are still pretty bad. They're actually yeah. still really bad. And the offense just, I mean, it's not where you'd like it to be. That contract is aging like raw dairy. Yep. Yep. Uh, had had to pull that one out, didn't you? Uh, <laughs> Ducks Jaggernaut said, which teams currently leading their divisions get upsets in the play- get upset in the playoffs in the first round? Ooh, is Boston leading? I don't know. I'm about to look up the standings. I don't look at the standings that often, to be honest. I, I look at them somewhat frequently now because of our our bet. Our, oh. our I'll, I'll go Boston. Well, our our like uh, what should I call it? You're gonna pick New York, I think. The Rangers. Uh, let's see. Prime yeah, for an upset. One hundred percent depends the who Rangers. they play, though. It, it's one hundred percent the Rangers. I, think I mean, they... who's beating them in the first? Because this is a first round thing, right? First round thing, yeah. I mean, right now they would be playing Tampa. Ooh, that is a tough series for them. Yeah, or you could oh. get the Devils potentially. Or, if the Devils or the get well, today it would be the Red Wings. Who? No, no, the Bruins would get the Red Wings. No, I know, but I'm saying the Devils aren't even in the playoffs. Correct. Yeah. So Sorry. I don't know why you're talking about them. No, I'm just saying that could be a team. That Devils are making game. it. I, I don't know if, if you yes, need to hear this out the loud. Red, the Red Wings are are not making the playoffs. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's 100% the Rangers. The the I'm surprised power, you didn't the pick Canucks. Merchants. Proud of you. I am going to eat crow. Is that Canucks. just because Western Conference, you have to scroll down? No. It, <laughs> I actually do think the Canucks have improved themselves this season. And they've turned what was largely uh, <laughs> shooting percentage and save percentage driven early on the season. And they've improved as the season has gone on. And so good for the Canucks. Eat your heart good, out, folks. Good on Jake them. Crow. Um, I, yeah. And I mean, if the Canucks end up winning the, the president's trophy or finishing first in the West, they're probably going to get the blues. Yeah. Like they're going to smoke them. Yeah. Like, come on. Like, yeah. and even the Kings, like the Kings have been in a really bad spot. So um, yeah, there's that. Oh, let's see. Uh, Brad said, is Cronin on the hot seat at all? Or and is or is Verbeeked on the hot seat at all? No, neither. No, no, no. There's a long term plan here. Yeah, 
Give Sukunek an ELC uh, drum banger said, despite uh, its record, this road trip was bad. The team looked like they were reverting to their old, back to their old Dallas Aikens. Randy Carlisle sells. Is this trend a cause for concern? Um, well, I, yes. <laughs> yes. So the, the first short, thing is yes. short answer is yes. <laughs> short answer is yes. One thing I will add to that is I think they had moments where yes, it felt like that, but I do think that the shots on goal, I think kind of, make it seem worse than it was in, okay. in some ways. Whereas I think that the issue was they got looks, they got chances. They missed a lot of those. And so yeah, but 13 shots on goal over 60 minutes sure, sure. is just piss poor. Sure. But I think that the, that shot on goal counter makes it also, seem worse than it was. Against Montreal, bad. The, the issue was the penalties, just the yes. sheer amount of penalties, yes. the, the penalty yeah. kill getting yeah. torched. Yeah. 100%. So I, I think that, yes, it was bad. I don't think it was that bad to where it was a Dallas Aikens level of poor. I mean, the first half today against Buffalo felt like okay. it, was te- it was teetering. It was teetering on that edge. Of teetering. Really, really, really bad. It's just my biggest thing is just that it's the c- consistent themes that we've seen all season of them struggling to defend transition play. You know, when they're backtracking from the offensive Fair. zone after a turnover, Time and time again, we just see that they have trouble sorting things out, getting on the right guy, and it's just it's somehow gotten worse as of late, which is befuddling to me, but that's where we are. Yeah. Um he also asked uh that is this team closer to where the Habs were last year in their rebuilding stage? I'm forgetting what last year was like for the Habs. I just kind of blanked it out. All right. No, it, it's not. It's not it's not at all because like and I was actually listening to a good Habs podcast about this today, but the, the the Ducks are further along than the Habs are now, and the Habs are further along than they were last year. Like the, 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 the Ducks have a lot of their young pieces that will be their future already on the team. Yeah. The Canadians last year, I mean, Uri Slavkovsky wasn't even playing what he is now, like like how he is now. Like the, They were so far away last year, and the Canadians are still very far away. A lot of their young pieces, the Lane Hudsons, the David Reinbackers, those guys are, are not even on the team yet. The Ducks have... Minchikov, they have Lacombe, Zellweger was playing, like they are right there. So no, they are much further along. And honestly, like this rebuild thing is this I honestly think this could be the very last year we see of it, just with all the young talent that's about to, to yeah. burst through. Like, I mean, we thought this year might not even be a be a rebuild season. I think that's the largest reason why is that you yeah. have so much like like Cutter Goche is the, gonna be on the team the, next the year. The purpose of a rebuild is to sell off any talent that you have, get picks prospects bottom out in some ways, get as much draft, accumulate as much draft capital, as much young prospects as you can. And like, there's not really a whole lot more on that side of it. The ducks can do outside of just continue. Like, no, no, but in terms of like, they, they already have those guys on their team. Like you said, you have five years of that. Yeah. uh, Of, of drafting well, drafting high and getting these players into your lineup. Like the ducks have all these young players and they're not, like I don't think you would consider many of them even prospects any anymore. No. Like Zellweger, you consider like Zellweger is probably the only one you consider a prospect just because he hasn't played enough. But like Minchikov's not a prospect. Like I guess Gauthier is still a prospect, so there's that. Zegris is not a prospect. Lacombe is not a prospect. Yeah. Uh, McTavish not a prospect. Carlson not a prospect. They like, have they have the, their core. Like these are NHLers. Like these are the guys that you get bad, you rebuild to get. So now it is on. This is, I guess, maybe where we should hold Verbeek's feet to the fire. This he hasn't is on surrounded him. them. 
Like, this is on him to surround them. This is not a team that should be rebuilding anymore. There is yeah. not a whole lot more to rebuild. They're going to get a high pick, and that's great this year. And, and that will help them. But at a certain point, they do have to start making that step because you have these guys on your team. Well, look at what's happened with Buffalo and how we thought that they were going to be the team, the, the kind of the hot young team to to come up and turn that corner this year. And part of it is because they're they just didn't surround their young players well enough. And... I look at the Ducks and I'm thinking there is just so much like dead weight on this team. And, you know, Alex Kalorn, I still think can be a positive contributor in the right role. Gudis was a good signing. Gudis was a great signing. Gudis is one of Pavarbeek's, probably mm-hmm. Pavarbeek's best signing. Um, yep. But you need to bring in more of these veteran type players on reasonable deals in that Frank Vetrano contract mold. Like to, to Beek's credit, the Frank Vetrano contract is perfect for what he is. Yeah. Um, That's a great need- contract you need more of those guys and you need to, to supplement the offense that you have with guys who can keep up offensively. Like I, I really think that the ducks roster, especially up front next season could look just completely different than what it looks like right now. Like there could be a major workshop that goes on this summer. Yep. Uh, our good friend Lou said, who's more tradable 11 or 23, man. when I see Mason McTavish do what he's what he's doing right now, like today, the goals against Ottawa, like it's hard, it's hard to imagine a world where the Ducks tr- would trade him away. But I still think that Trevor Zegers, just what he does, is so special and so almost impossible to replace. That I think McTavish is more tradable, but I think the future is still bright for McTavish, even though he's had a bit of a up and down season. Yeah, I think the argument for not like seeing a, net, a good trade for Zegers is similar to McTavish. Like, there's not really a reason to move either of them. Yeah, like he's um, a young, talented center under club control. Like we we haven't brought this up with with Zegers, but I think it's important to point out. I know we're over an hour now, um, but uh, uh, Bo Grew came to his defense to yeah. Montreal media. As did Greg Cronin. As yeah, no, I was gonna get there also. Like Greg Cronin also came out and like openly defended him and and kind of said like he he's like such a great player for this team and like is someone that is is going to to live and die for you and said he had talked to his college coach and said he's one of the most misunderstood players in the NHL. Well, also his his that guy that he was talking about that mm-hmm. uh, I think was like a scout or something for BU. Oh, was it? I thought it was a coach for BU, but okay. Yeah, well, maybe may a coach, but he's now a scout for the Canadians. Oh, okay. Just, just, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, it just kind of go- fly, flies in the face of all of the reasonings why people say Zegers is, will get moved. And it's because him and Cronin won't see eye to eye long term. Well, Cronin definitely understood his audience. Like yeah. when he brought all that up, he knows that he's in a big media market. That's kind of, yep. there was a reason for it. Teaming with Zegers trade rumors. And the rumors are so like completely. I'm unsubstantiated. It's not even funny, but good on him for kind of putting his stamp on that and trying to mold the narrative a little bit more. And, you know, Gru was asked about it. Gru gave really good stuff saying how, like, you know, if anything, because people say he's overrated because I think he was asked about the player poll thing. Yeah. It's like, if anything, he said he's underrated. And I yep. actually really, really agree with that. So, yep. yeah. Yep. All right. I got a quick Twitter question from my DMs from our good friend, Trevor Zebras. Who said if Leo Carlson was in this year's draft instead of last year's, who would go first overall, him or Celebrini? I think Celebrini would still go first, but I think Leo would be a pretty clear cut second. I mean, he could like I think it would be maybe be a conversation, but I think people are just really enamored with Celebrini's skating, as am I. I think he's a worthy one overall, but 
I would have Leo Carlson like just just a shade underneath him, but I could I could see an argument the other way too. Yep, and he also asked, do you think that if the Ducks draft a forward in this year's draft, uh, that the likelihood of Zegers actually getting traded goes up? No. Yeah. No. I why would either. adding another good player mean that you're going to trade one of your good players? Like, you're you can't play the stupid game of whack a mole and musical chairs forever. Yeah. Like, it, yep. it, that's not how it works. Like the whole point is like, what do you trade Zegers for that makes also, sense? I'm going to say right now, whoever they draft that's a forward is not coming in to take Trevor Zegers' job for another two years. Like if they draft, unless they draft Macklin Celebrini, which, you know, I think a lot of people would be happy about, but Caden Lindstrom, Ivan Demidov, uh, Berkeley Catton, these guys are not coming in and mm-hmm. doing half of what Trevor Zegers is doing right now, like in the near future. So no, it's not changing anything. Um, all right. And now that is it for those questions. So, uh, we're now going to go to Twitch and YouTube. So if you don't find us every month or typically every Monday, we go live at 8 PM at twitch.tv slash crash pond, where if you have Amazon prime, you get one free Twitch prime gaming sub each and every month. It does help out more than you can imagine. Special emotes in the chat, special badges next to your name. Or if you want to also support us in a way that's completely free to you, go to youtube.com slash crash pond where you can subscribe to our channel, like our videos, all that helps out more than you can imagine. Um, and, and so if you could do that to us or for us, it would really, really help. And I know everyone listening to this has a YouTube account. Everyone has a Google account at this point in time. So go to youtube.com slash crash subscribe to our channel, like our videos. Um, Elizabeth Leo asks question, what has surprised slash impressed you the most about Minchikov and Lacombe individually that is often overlooked by the public eye? Wow. That was a great question. I mean, That's I a think a really the- good question. I think that for Minchikov, it's just, it's, he, like the rest of the team has struggled as of late with this, but his overall game, just how sound he can be defensively without the puck. And then with Lacombe, it's the opposite where I'm just so impressed at how confident he is with the puck on his stick. Yeah, I, I would probably go with that. I, I think with, I think with Minchikov, yeah, there, the play that just comes to mind, it, Maybe it's not being overlooked then, but it it was that game against Arizona where he had that one play where he made that big physical hit and that yeah. caused caused the puck to turn over, rushed up the ice, and almost scored with a little give and go. The backhand and, and it, it, hit the post. <laughs> it hit the post, and I think Terry ended up finishing it. And it was just that, that defensive zone entry kind of denial with that hit and the physicality there. And so, maybe, I mean, you could say it's overlooked, that, that physicality. And yeah, Lacombe, I think, probably the ability to, to skate with the puck. Yeah. Um, yeah. Daniel Me said, question, does it look like Leo has cooled off or is he just on a horrible line? And she also had still so annoyed with Fowler. LOL. <laughs> uh, did Fowler play badly today? I'm trying to remember. I thought he was fine for the most part. He just plays too much. Like, it's, just, yeah. it's, it's just almost that simple at this point. Yeah. Like, I think if he was playing like 16, 17 minutes a night, 18 minutes a night, like a lot of the flaws wouldn't be as glaring. And I think he would be more so suited for that role and take him off the power play, kind of limit a lot of those things. It would be just a much better situation with Fowler. But yeah, for Leo Carlson, I think he has cooled off a little bit. I think we talked, we touched on it earlier, but I think he is adjusting a little bit to the, the physical rigors of playing this kind of, especially on a, on a long road trip with the big time change and everything. Mm-hmm. I think you're seeing some of that manifest himself manifest itself in his game but he's still having his moments he's still doing positive things out there and yes he's playing with a guy making five million dollars who quite honestly doesn't really do jack shit so that hurts yep yep 
Uh, Euphoric Lanterns in question. Who do you think Cutter will have the best chemistry with? McTavish, Leo, or Zegris? Ooh, that is a fun one. Zegris. I think just the creativity of Zegris and the fact that Gochi is able to find those types of softer spaces and get himself in that spot to take shots. I think Zegris... is I mean, the it's, most it's apt Carl, of those Carlson guys. or Zegris for me. Yeah, I, I think Zegris has the most creativity to find guys in open space. Well, the thing with Zegris and Leo, especially off the rush, is that they're going to just carry the mail. And especially with yeah. Carlson, he he loves to attack the middle and then pop it out to someone who's trailing. And Cutter Goche just like lives off of that in college. Like he's so good at following the trailer, getting open, just kind of like lulling people to sleep and then firing a shot off the rush in movement. And that's like Leo Carlson's just like begging the ducks to bring someone like that. He's not actually doing that, but like the way he plays is crying out for someone who can support that. And I think cutter Goche could really fit that bill. Yep. Uh, let's see. Elizabeth Leo also asked, uh, would you rather see Minchikov with Fowler or Gudis? I mean, I think for Minchikov Gudis for the ducks roster construction, Fowler Gudis Gudis for both. Really? Who yeah. plays with Fowler then? Just buy, just buy Fowler out. Who plays with Fowler? Just buy, buy him out, please. So the the issue here is, I think Minchikov can be the best with Fowler in terms of a partner for him. Whereas no, I think I Lacombe, with, with Lacombe with Fowler has not worked. This is Lacombe with Fowler has not worked. I think Lacombe with Gudis has. So keep Lacombe with Gudis. Put Fowler with Minchikov. Let's see. Year one cap hit one point two million, and then two point five in year two. 2.2 I mean, year three for like that, what's that wrong is, with that? that that is the only way he's getting off this roster and it's a possibility like thank uh, you for actually sorry i don't think it's that much of a possibility this summer thank you for your service thank you for everything you've done i will eat a hat you suffered two two doses of randy carlisle thank you for everything you've done thank you for what you've built but I want a left side of zellweger minchikov and lacombe and i don't want any lefties in the right side See ya. I will eat a hat if the if Cam Fowler is bought out this summer. Oh, I doubt it actually happens, but I think that that's the path to to changing the, this roadblock situation. Fair. I I will eat a hat if it ends up happening, though. It's also um, just like a pretty chill buyout. Like it's really, it's kind of ho hum. Yeah. So. Uh. See ya. Uh, Thank you uh, for your service. All right, so uh, let's see. Roochfan20 said, question is Zegris, Carlson, Gauthier, the line? The line? Like the line for I the I mean, it's, it's, it's a line that could work very well. Is is it the line for this team I think long that the, term? the beauty of the what they're building is that you can just mix and match any combination. Like your top, you know, you have five of your top six being Zegris, Carlson, Gauthier, uh, Terry and McTavish, like you could play around with that all day and, and have great combos. Yeah. Uh, what is this? Uh, Daniel, me said, uh, why do you think our shots on, on goal have decreased so much? We were competitive earlier and now we look like last year. That's a great question. The number one issue is obviously the, in the D zone. If you're spending more time defending more time, you know, barely getting out of your own zone, that's going to hurt your offense. But also when they're in the zone, they're just not creating dangerous offense. They're just, yeah. I mean, it's that simple. So. It's not, for me, it's not so much the shots on goal. It's the dangerous offense that, it, that I care more about. A shot from the point doesn't really do a whole lot for me. Just shooting it to shoot it doesn't do a lot for me. Get get into the slot, find dangerous looks. 
Plantwork said, why haven't people been traded yet? I mean, I thought the Henrique trade would have happened by now already. I think it could be a situation of teams are so tight to the cap <clears throat> yeah, that they want to be closer to the deadline so that the accrued cap hit will be less. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, it's just looking at the these shot charts on NHL Edge, like the Ducks are just below average in all the high danger kind of mm-hmm. mid-range areas. And like, they also just don't shoot a lot from there. <laughs> I mean, it's that, it's that simple. It's not even just about the completion. It, it's it, the success rate. It's about like, are you even getting there and creating something? And they're not. So trade the line on a Friday this year. I feel like it Good. was always, it was always on like a Monday. Good. Should but always be on a Friday. We are coming up on under, under three weeks till the trade deadline. Now this Friday will be two weeks to the deadline. Good. So uh that's it for questions from uh twitch and youtube want to hit some shit show questions before we get out of here sure all right our good friend connor put in this uh question that was asked to Stephen a smith saying you're in an arena with 50 hawks 10 crocodiles three brown bears 15 wolves one hunter with rifle seven cape buffalo ten thousand rats five gorillas four lions pick two to defend you while the others attack goal is to survive one hour i mean the hunter with rifle is one Okay, let's ask. Let's answer this real question first. Yeah, I saw that also. Uh, do you the real question from Daniel Me said, "Do you want to see Zellweger come back up?" Yes. Yeah, I think he he looked good enough. He looked he looked good enough to hang. Um, buy out that contract. Yep. Buy out that contract. Uh, so I will go with the hunter with rifle, mainly for the rifle, and I'll go ten crocodiles. Okay, I'm just not answering. Wow. But the I, crocodiles are underrated for how terrifying they are. They're horrifying creatures. I don't want those attacking me. I think they could protect me well. Um, extra extra medium. This is one that's just for me. Said, so who are your uh, picks for uh, ducks analogs to a? Oh no, this could work for you to AEW's pillars. Oh no, it's actually never mind. It's only for me. Uh, Jungle Boy, Mason McTavish, Hangman, Troy Terry, Trevor's, uh, uh, John Zegras for MJF. Uh, let's see, Jungle Boy. I mean, Jungle Boy, Mason McTavish. I think Jungle Boy makes more sense for for Trevor Zegers. What? Just, just the fact the, that I'm taking this I just seriously. Saw, I just saw the question after this. Oh, okay. Um, uh, wait, Hangman's not a pillar. The pillars are Jungle Boy, Sammy Guevara, MJF, and Darby Allen. Darby Allen would be Troy Terry. I'm just going to shoot now on this quick to get through it. Sure, we'll do we'll do Trevor Zegers as MJF just because of the charisma there. Uh, Sammy Guevara would be. Uh, I'll go with Mason McTavish, and I'll do Jungle Boy as being Leo Carlson. Okay. Uh, don't have good reasons, but I'm just going with it. Uh, Appa said, in honor of George Washington's <laughs> birthday, what is your favorite memory of him? <laughs> I, why did this break you? Because it's funny. Okay. It's actually funny. Okay. Um, my favorite memory of George Washington. Well, I don't have any memories of him. That's kind of the joke, I think. So, well played. Yep. yep. Got crossing none. crossing the Potomac. Isn't it the Delaware? Was it the Delaware? Shit. I crossing the Delaware. Yes. Is it? <laughs> Thankfully, that's not a that's not on the citizenship test. I don't think. Um, give Sukunek an ELC drum banger. Said, has Lou lost it? Yes, Lou's lost. Lou lost it a while ago, and that's why we love him. Yeah. Why did I say? Why did I say that? Damn. I'm. Man, that, that's embarrassing. Yeah. We'll, we'll edit that out. Citizenship revoked. Yeah. I'm not, yeah. I'm not editing that out. F- f- future citizenship already revoked. 
Yeah. Lou, Lou doesn't even know what what it means by asking if he lost it. Lou's just emotional roller coaster in the last couple of weeks has been something to follow. Yeah. The Super Bowl did not uh did not do great things for him. I mean it didn't it didn't do great things for me either. So Yeah. Lou Let's Lou just... take it up with Rooch. So that's gonna do it though. Yeah, well thanks for listening, everyone. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. It was fun to get back into the swing of things and talk shop. Hope you enjoyed your stay in our warm, cozy home. <laughs> Hope you stay dry. Hope you stay off the road as much as possible because yes. one, the roads are wet, damp, unsafe, and also people don't really know how to drive in the rain. So also make sure your wiper blades are up to up to date. Make sure that you can clear off that windshield. Very important. But on all that, thank you for listening. If you want to support the podcast, there's some easy ways to do so. The number one way, go check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash crash the pond. For $2 per month, you get access to our patrons only Discord server. Great place to connect with other diehard Ducks fans just like you. You can also talk about a bunch of different sports. We have channels in there for pretty much anything you you can ask for. It's in there. Uh, that's just for two bucks a month. And then for $7.50 a month, you get access to the Discord plus. You also get access to two bonus podcasts. Jake and I just did a recent one, which might might have been my favorite podcast we've done. Uh, I, I legit I, barely remember it because I was sick. I feel like yeah. it's a haze for me. But it was the, uh, we, we drafted our own teams, our own hypothetical teams to make the playoffs out That's of right. non, out of non-playoff teams, essentially. Although it was from teams that we drafted before the season but anyway but that also had to be cap compliant so it was a lot of fun uh, that's the kind of stuff that we give you over there and also for anyone who's seen the youtube videos that we post um that are like the player breakdowns we do even more of those on the patreon page so go check that out it's honestly worth it and also you support your favorite podcast along the way also you can leave us a rating and a review on apple Podcasts. make sure to do that you can also leave us feedback and subscribe on spotify Make sure to subscribe on YouTube. The YouTube channel, I would say, is really good. Return on investment with all the different content that's there. Um, and yeah, check out CrashThePond.com. Follow us on social media. And with all that being said, thank you for listening today. Hope you have a good one, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye!